Uh, well, it'll be handy to have uh, 2 Corinthians 10 open in front of you, and uh, it'll be good for you to uh, just be checking that the sorts of things I'm saying up the front uh, are what you're reading for yourself uh, in God's Word. Uh, but uh, why don't I lead us in prayer, and uh, we'll have a look at 2 Corinthians 10 together this morning. Let's pray. Uh, our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Um, bringing us together today as your people. Uh, We thank you, Father, for uh, your word uh, that draws us together like this. And uh, we pray that as we uh, hear from your word this morning, uh, that you would give us soft hearts uh, and hearts that are uh, willing to submit uh, to the authority of our Lord Jesus so that we might live in a way that is pleasing to him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, recently I had a power boost. Uh, I was at a shop where they were selling this thing called a power boost. Uh, It was a drink where they blended all these uh, what they call superfoods together. Have you heard of superfoods before? Um, They had uh, certain kinds of berries and nuts and uh, this green thing called kale. Uh, and they blended all these things together into a juice, and uh, it was meant to give me uh, power or energy. Uh, I think I could do with one of these this morning. Uh, I was a little bit sceptical at first, but I was running low on energy that day, and so I bought this power boost, and I've got to say, it made absolutely no difference whatsoever. (laughs) Uh, Now, this morning we're going to spend some time thinking uh, not about a power boost, uh, but about God's power. And specifically, I want to ask the question, where do we find power, where do we find the power of God in Christian ministry? Uh, Where do we find the power of God in Christian ministry? And by Christian ministry, I'm talking about uh, Christian work or Christian service that every Christian uh, is called to be a part of. Uh, We've been looking at the book of 2 Corinthians for a while now, and uh, we're on the home stretch. Uh, I think we have two more sermons left uh, after this uh, sermon this morning. And I want to suggest to you that uh, these last few chapters of 2 Corinthians is really all about the Apostle Paul defending his ministry. Uh, He's defending his ministry as being uh, the authentic ministry. And he does this because false uh, false teachers, whom Paul later calls super-apostles, have come to the city of Corinth and they are calling into question the legitimacy of Paul's ministry. Now, uh, who are these super-apostles, you might ask? Well, it's highly, highly likely, friends, that these super-apostles were people who claimed to be Christian. In other words, they claimed to follow Jesus. It's just that the Jesus that they followed was different to the Jesus that Paul proclaimed. Uh, and you can see this if you uh, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles if you have it in front of you, and uh, flip forward a little bit with me to chapter 11, verse 4. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 4. Uh, Paul is writing uh, about these super apostles here, 
and uh, listen to what he says to the Corinthian church. He says, uh, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit to the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Uh, a little while ago, I noticed in the papers that there was a, a massive recall uh, of baby Panadol. Uh, do you remember that? When they recalled uh, lots and lots of baby Panadol? Apparently, uh, the Panadol was contaminated, and so there were all these bottles of Panadol sitting on the shelves of chemists and supermarkets promising to heal when in actual fact it could harm or kill anyone who had it. Uh, the bottles looked good on the outside, but on the inside they had the potential to do some real damage. And you see, uh, this is what false teaching is like, isn't it? Uh, these false teachers looked good on the outside. Uh, they didn't come to Corinth with a big sign around their neck saying, false teacher. They didn't have bright flashing lights warning the church against their teaching. No, they claimed to follow Jesus. But they followed a different Jesus to the one that Paul followed. They talked about a different spirit to the one that Paul uh, preached and ultimately believed a different gospel to the one that Paul was on about. Uh, but here's the thing about these super apostles. Uh, these were people who loved worldly power. These were people who loved worldly power. Uh, I wonder what you uh, answered uh, to that question that was asked about, um, you know, what comes to mind when you think about the word power. Uh, where do you find power in this world? Well, you find it in people with great charisma, don't you? Uh, they're the powerful people of this world. Uh, you find it in people who are uh, beautiful and attractive. Uh, you find it in people with great skill and ability. The only problem was that on the surface, the Apostle Paul was actually none of these things. You can see it there in verse 10. Have a look with me uh, in verse 10. This is what the super apostles were saying about Paul. Uh, it says in verse 10, For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but Paul's bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. You know, Paul, uh, he's a pretty weak leader, they were saying. You know, he's a little bit timid. He's not much to look at. You know, his sermons are boring. He's always suffering. Later on, we find that he didn't even accept money from uh, the rich and, and powerful who could have funded his ministry so that he could continue to expand his ministry on the finances. And so that's why the super apostles think that Paul's ministry cannot be from God. At the end of verse 2, you can see that they suspected Paul of, you see the words, walking according to the flesh at the end of verse 2? That's what the false teachers were suspecting of Paul, walking according to the flesh. Uh, in Paul's letters, he often uses the word flesh to describe 
people who do not have the Spirit of God in them. And so what he's saying here is that Paul's ministry is devoid of the powerful Spirit of God. You know, Paul's ministry looks so weak that it cannot, meet, it cannot be that God's Spirit is at work through this ministry. But friends, did you notice who has the responsibility for dealing with these false teachers? Did you notice who has the responsibility for dealing with these false teachers? Uh, I think one of the, the fascinating things about uh, this passage is that Paul says the responsibility for dealing with false teaching lies with the entire church. Notice that Paul writes here to the Corinthian church. He doesn't just write to the leaders of Corinth. And he says, if you don't deal with these false teachers by the time I next come to you, well, I will be just as hard on you as I will be on those false teachers. Uh, have a look with me at verse 2 again. Verse 2, Paul says, I beg of you, that when I am present, that is, when I next come and visit you, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the, to the flesh. Friends, uh, who has the responsibility of being vigilant against false teaching in our church? Well, it's you, isn't it? It's not just me or the ministry staff, but we all have responsibility to be vigilant against false teaching. Now, uh, what false teaching should we be uh, wary of? Well, uh, false teaching comes in uh, various shapes and sizes. Uh, in the past, uh, liberal Christianity was a big one. Um, who's heard of liberal Christianity uh, here? Uh, quite a few of us. Uh, well, liberal Christianity, uh, what they try to do was they try to make Christianity more attractive and appealing to the contemporary world. And so what they did was they got rid of beliefs that you know, the non-Christian world might find offensive. They just got rid of it from Christianity. They ceased to believe in things like miracles. And once you start getting rid of things like miracles, well, you can't uh, believe in things like the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. They got rid of things like judgment and hell because, you know, people don't like to hear about that sort of thing. Things like Jesus' death being a penalty for our sin. In other words, little by little, uh, liberal Christianity started to rip uh, the heart and soul out of Christian belief. But we don't see too many liberal teachers anymore. You know, there are still some around, you know, in places like Gosford and uh, other places uh, here and there. But not many, because liberal Christianity is pretty much on its last legs. Liberal churches are almost dead uh, very few people in liberal churches these days because, you see, that's what happens when false teaching comes. They destroy churches because they do not preach the word of God 
but they just try to accommodate themselves to the world. My friends, the thing I think we need to be particularly wary of these days is the kind of false teaching that is a little bit like what these super apostles brought to Corinth. You know, the kind of teachers who are in love with worldly power and being impressive and influential and wanting Christianity to be the same in the world. Such that the message they preach is ultimately about a different Jesus to the one that Paul preached. For the Jesus that Paul preached was the Jesus who suffered and died on the cross. Looks fairly weak to the world, but as we'll see, is the power of God to save. Uh, Now, friends, uh, we've seen the super apostles criticising Paul's ministry as being weak and powerless. Uh, But in our passage this morning, uh, Paul says, in actual fact, uh, his ministry is uh, very, very powerful because of the weapons that are at his disposal. Uh, This is uh, Paul's Rambo moment, if you like, where he uh, pulls out all the weapons that are available to him in his ministry. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 4. Have a look at verse 4. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You see, uh, the super apostles were accusing Paul of walking according to the flesh. That is, they thought that his ministry did not have the power of the Spirit of God. But here, notice that Paul says the weapons that he uses in his ministry actually have divine power. Uh, What kind of power is is Paul talking about? Well, uh, these weapons that Paul uses, notice, have the power to destroy or pull down strongholds. They destroy arguments. They destroy lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. In other words, the weapons that Paul uses here are not physical weapons used to fight a physical religious war like in uh, Islamic extremism. No, the weapons that Paul uses actually change people's thinking from being opposed to God to being submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that as people's thinking changes, they begin to obey God. But what are these weapons that Paul uses? Uh, I don't know whether you noticed, but it's not immediately obvious uh, in the passage here what Paul is actually talking about when he mentions these weapons. And uh, commentators have spilt a lot of ink debating you know, what these weapons might be. Uh, but friends, uh, I think that the weapons that Paul uses in his ministry is simply the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of, about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And why do I think that? Well, 
If you have your Bibles there, just flip back uh, with me to chapter 6, verse 7. Um, come to chapter 6, verse 7. Paul is having another Rambo moment here. Chapter 6, verse 7. And uh, you'll notice there that he, he mentions uh, the weapons of his ministry. And uh, do you see there that he calls these weapons the weapons of righteousness? You see it there? In other words, these weapons have something to do with righteousness or a right standing before God. And what makes someone right before God? Well, keep on turning back to chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, Paul uh, here is talking about uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation that he's been given. And in verse 21 he says, uh, For our sake, uh, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. In other words, the perfectly righteous Jesus takes my sin upon himself when he dies on the cross and gives to me his righteousness so that when God sees me now, well, he sees the righteousness of Jesus rather than my sinfulness. It's an extraordinary exchange, don't you think? That my sin is dealt with because Jesus has dealt with that sin in my place on the cross. And in exchange, I can be righteous before God. And what Paul is saying in our passage this morning is that it is this message of the death of Jesus for our sins and his resurrection to be the Lord of all things that are his real weapons in ministry. It is as this message is proclaimed that God destroys rebellious thinking in people so that people's thoughts become captive to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, uh, it's true, isn't it, that sometimes we wonder whether the gospel is really that powerful. Is that true for you? Um, sometimes in our house, uh, my wife and I play war games with our children. Uh, There's a stunned silence uh, in, the, in the room. Uh, we have a, a range of Nerf guns at home uh, with these foam bullets. And uh, so we pick our weapon of choice and uh, we run around our house trying to shoot our children. Um, but it's harmless fun because, you know, the guns don't really look like guns and, you know, when you shoot out of these guns, the, the foam bullets just kind of hit, hit people and fall to the ground. Uh, my little daughter Naomi comes and shoots me in the head and this little bullet kind of bounces off. You know, sometimes it might feel a little bit like that as we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the gospel just seems to bounce off people. <laughs> Is that how you feel sometimes? Uh, it might feel like that as we speak to our non-Christian friends. Uh, it might feel like that sometimes uh, as we speak to people at church who we see 
uh, are not living in line with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I remember thinking this a few years ago uh, when I met a, a young man at church. And uh, his life at that time, uh, I must say, was all about himself. Uh, it was about himself and his career and his selfish ambitions to make his mark on the world. Uh, it really was a life that had nothing to do with God and was opposed to God. Uh, but this week uh, I caught up with him and the change was extraordinary. Uh, he told me about you know, how he was trying to uh, be a Christian witness in his workplace. Uh, he was thinking about how he can best serve Jesus at church. Uh, he was thinking about how he might serve Jesus in the different relationships that God had placed him in so that he can encourage other people and help them to grow in Christ. You see, his whole thinking and his whole life had changed. But you see, that's the power of God, isn't it? It's as people continue to speak to him about the death and the resurrection of Jesus that God powerfully worked in his heart so that after a bit of time, uh, he was serving Jesus. His thoughts and his mind was taken captive to Christ. Now, friends, uh, how do we evaluate whether God is powerfully at work in ministry? How do we evaluate whether God is powerfully at work in a ministry? Uh, how do we know that God is powerfully at work in a church or uh, perhaps in your growth group or in other ministries that you're part of? Uh, sometimes I think it's easy to evaluate ministry based on the numbers of people we get. Is that right? Uh, you know, how was church this morning? Oh, it was great. We had 150 people. Uh, God really must be at work if that amount of people will fit into our church. Uh, or sometimes it's easy to evaluate ministry based on how impressive the minister is. Um, you know, I went to a conference and, you know, that preacher, uh, he was an awesome speaker, we say. But no, what God is saying here is that a ministry that is a powerful one is where people have confidence in the right weapons, isn't it? It's where people understand that the gospel about the death and resurrection of Jesus is a powerful weapon. And we keep on speaking it to each other so that people's thinking and lives are changed to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you have this kind of confidence in the gospel message? Uh, well, friends, uh, we've seen uh, the weapons that Paul uses in his ministry, uh, but what Paul does in the remainder of uh, our passage this morning is uh, he writes to convince the Corinthians that his ministry and his authority in ministry is authentic 
as opposed to the authority of the false teachers that have come to Corinth. And you see, uh, the super apostles derive their authority from other people. Uh, if you remember, uh, they are the ones who came to Corinth with all these letters of recommendation from other people, supposedly important people. They commended themselves to the Corinthian church because, well, they were carrying these imp impressive CVs and references which they thought made them superior to others. But Paul says that they are without understanding because their authority is ultimately derived from man. And you can see it there in verse 12. Uh, have a look with me at verse 12. He says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, well, they are without understanding. But you see, Paul, on the other hand, received his authority not from other impressive people around him, but actually he received his authority from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, didn't he? If you remember, Paul meets the risen Lord Jesus uh, in a blinding flash of light on the road to Damascus, and Jesus gives him authority to preach the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. It was a, a delegated authority. Uh, there was nothing impressive about Paul himself for if you remember, Paul was the one who persecuted the church of God. He was, in his own words, the worst of sinners. But he was delegated this authority so that Gentile churches like the one in Corinth could spring into existence as he preached the gospel. You see, Paul's authority was given not to destroy people, but to give people life through the preaching of the gospel. And you can see Paul's delegated authority in verse 7. Have a look with me at verse 7. Uh, it says there, uh, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. You see, Paul is not ashamed to boast about his authority because, well, ultimately it was given to him by Jesus to build up the church. Uh, last week I had the good fortune of uh, having morning tea uh, with the mayor of Burwood. Um, I received a, a call a few weeks ago from his personal assistant uh, inviting me to this uh, morning tea. Uh, she had uh, delegated authority, you see, for speaking on behalf of the mayor. But imagine if I was rude to her. Imagine if I just told her to get lost. I'm not interested in any silly morning tea. Now, I'd imagine that the mayor himself would not be too happy about that. Uh, perhaps I'll find that my bins are not collected that week. <laughs> But you see, the way I respond to the personal assistant who has been delegated authority is ultimately the way I respond to the one who has delegated the authority to her, isn't it? And that's what's going on here. 
Paul has been delegated authority by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so if the Corinthian church don't recognize his authority over them, then ultimately they will not be recognizing the authority of Jesus Christ. If they distance themselves from Paul and side with the false teachers, then they will be distancing themselves from the Lord Jesus Christ and the life that is available in his name. Now, I think this is very important for us to see because uh, I think that sometimes uh, people want to keep Jesus and Paul apart. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you, you hear people say, um, I'm happy to follow Jesus, but I don't really want that much to do with the Apostle Paul. Uh, I think people do this because Paul often has difficult things to say to churches, uh, uncomfortable things to say to churches. He challenges their sexual immorality, for example. He challenges their greed, as we saw last week. He challenges their worldliness. You see, he says difficult people. Because he, uh, he, he says difficult things because, well, sometimes you need to say difficult things in order to build people up. If we don't say difficult things and challenge people's thinking and people's lives, then they won't be built up in the Lord Jesus. But what about you and me? Uh, how do we respond to the authority of the Apostle Paul? How do we respond to Paul as we hear from him at church or in our growth groups or in our personal Bible reading? We've looked at a lot of Paul's writings this year, friends. Do we respond like the super apostles, you know, who are quite skeptical about Paul? Uh, they kind of wonder whether his words actually have that much power. And so we just kind of write him off. Or do we respond like the Corinthian church who hear from Paul, but they just keep Paul at arm's length because, well, they don't really want to do anything about what they hear. Or friends, do we gladly submit to his authority, especially when he challenges our sinfulness and our ungodliness because we know that the things that Paul says Jesus says and is ultimately to build us up rather than tear us down now where do we find the power of God in Christian ministry well it's as people come to know the gospel that Paul taught and Paul preached and as their lives are radically changed by this gospel, that we find the power of God at work. Uh, it's wonderful, friends, when um, we see people wanting to grow in the knowledge of God uh, by wanting to grow deeper in the sorts of things that Paul teaches us in the Bible. Uh, do you know this power? Has your life changed? Has your thinking changed 
because through the gospel, God has waged war on your rebellion and my rebellion and taken every thought captive to obey and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know this kind of power in your life? Because that's what it means to be a Christian. That's the kind of power that Paul is talking about. Let's pray.